My name is Murray Alborn. I'm your host of the Breaking Disability podcast, live, proudly presented to you by NDSP National Referral Hub, Coloplast and Variety of the Children's Charity. Today, you'll hear from another great star of disability sports. So tune in, enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm here with uh, Paralympic legend Riley Batts, uh, captain of the Paralympic team uh, from Tokyo, and uh, obviously we all chair rugby. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Riley. Really good to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Murray. I'm glad to be here, mate. Excellent. Look, um, I think we want to talk about firstly the origination of your journey um, into para sport. What was your first kind of recollection of uh, uh, turning up to, to Paralympic sport? Yeah, look, my first time, I guess, being involved in Paralympic sport was uh, back in uh, grade six. And for me, at the time, I wasn't using a wheelchair. I was born with my disability, but I wasn't using a wheelchair. I was using a skateboard to get around because that was the way I, I fitted in. And I thought, um, you know, at the time, I thought people in wheelchairs were, were disabled and I didn't want to jump in a wheelchair. How totally wrong I was. So I remember going to the school sport of, of wheelchair rugby um, held uh, where I live in my hometown of Port Macquarie and I watched all my able-bodied friends jump in these wheelchair rugby chairs and bash into each other and have the best time of their life and I sat on the sideline for a few weeks and 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 just did not want to get involved um, turns out a, a few things happened uh, one of my my skateboard got stolen and that was my motor transport and something just ticked in my head in that day and I went you know what Riley let's overcome this sort of kryptonite this this um, fear of this wheelchair and let's have a go and for the first time in my life, when I jumped in this wheelchair rugby chair, I felt like I was on the same level playing field as all my friends. And, you know, there were so many times on the school oval that I'd try to play soccer, football, cricket, all those kind of sports. And I absolutely loved it. And I loved to be competitive, but I was just always left behind. So this was an amazing feeling for me. And I sort of had it a little bit over my friends as well, where I had a little bit more upper body strength at the time where, because I was using a uh, skateboard to, and using my arms to propel myself on the ground. So uh, it was pretty cool to jump in that wheelchair rugby chair and zoom around past my friends and, and run into them. So uh, I remember that moment vividly. And it's a moment that I'm very, very glad I uh, got involved in. It's interesting that you talk about that. And obviously, look, being a country boy uh, in, in Paul Macquarie, um, you know, it's uh, you're away from that a lot, right? And so it's a specific culture and you're in a different environment and there's maybe not a lot of supports um, for you and your family in a regional town. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, look, obviously for me growing up, I, I guess I didn't see any other sort of disability sports. It, it was not a normality for me. Um, probably being the person I was, I, I, I didn't really want to get involved in disability sports at the time as well growing up. Um, I remember my parents tried to get me in a wheelchair when I was about eight years old and I said to them, you can get me a wheelchair, but there's no chance I'm going to use it. I wish I was sort of shown wheelchair sports, shown Paralympic sports when I was growing up. It would, uh, you know, it would have gave me, a, I guess, a bit of a head, head start into wheelchair rugby. And, you know, I now look at Paralympic sport. I now look at, um, you know, any, any sport with a disability. And I love to see that Paralympians are looked up to as sort of role model, as idols from 
kids with disabilities, with kids with no disabilities, just able-bodied kids are looking up to Paralympians as idols. So um, it's an amazing world we live in at the moment. Australia really captivates um, and sort of understands people with disabilities and they understand, they understand the Paralympics and they really get behind it. So uh, yeah, living regionally, I was a bit sort of hidden from uh, Paralympic sports or disability sports, but uh, it's growing and it's an awesome time to be a Paralympian. Uh, I, I echo your thoughts, mate. Obviously, the outstanding coverage from Channel 7 in Tokyo and the ability for people to watch whatever they wanted on 7 Plus at any given time really changed the game. And I think, um, you know, going back, what's your message to parents, you know, who are with kids and, and that, for that matter, kids and adults in that space who have always thought, oh, I'm not sporty, you know, I'm, I don't want to play, but maybe are socially isolated, especially coming out of COVID. What's your message for those people who, you know, need to kind of, take that first step yeah it's uh i'm i'm so glad that uh when i got involved in sport my parents um completely supported me and let me travel the world and and let me represent australia but for, for kids out there for parents um with kids with disabilities um i encourage them to get their kids involved in sport because it just changes who they are it, um, it, it's it's not about it's not about winning and it's not about trying to get to a Paralympics. Yeah, that's awesome. And if you want to aim for that, go right ahead. But just being involved in some sort of fitness activity, it's not only good for you, you physically, it's also good for you mentally, but it's also good to be part of a community. And that's what I've really understood over the last sort of decade is, yeah, it's awesome to play this sport, but it's more about the community. And when I eventually retire from this sport, that is what I'm going to miss the most is all the friends, all the, you know, people I've met on the, on the journey. Um, you know, gold medals are awesome. You know, we've won two of them. Absolutely awesome. But you can't take away from those community experiences as well. It's a big thing, isn't it? And, and the, the family that gets created and the people that you get to meet around the world and just have friendships all around the world and travel to places. And, and tell us a little bit about that journey, you know, outside of sport now that you've been in this played over 300 games for Australia and, one, two Paralympic gold medals, world championships, you know, tell us about um, home life and, and, you know, how that's helped you build confidence in having relationships and, and building friendships. I, I owe sport so much. Uh, I probably would not be the person I am today without sport. Uh, I, I don't know where I'd be. Sport has allowed me to travel the world um, to be comfortable with my disability. Growing up, I did not like myself because of my disability. Even in my teen years, I still did not like myself because of my disability. And because of this sports side of things, I, I dropped weight, I got some strength, I built a little bit more confident, I explored you know, different cultures around the world, got to meet new people and that just opened my eyes. It's also about hanging out with other people with disabilities as well. You get to learn so much about each other and that just helps each individual better themselves um you know without sport i wouldn't have met my my now wife crystal um and you know there's just so many things in life that i've achieved i've been very very proud of and very lucky to achieve and that's because i have a disability and that's because i've got involved in sport so you know so many people look at me in a wheelchair and go oh poor bloke you know born with a disability never able to run um you know kick a footy all those kind of things but to be honest I am more than happy with my life. There's not a day, you know, these days, yeah, in my teenage years, it was different. But these days, there's not one day where I go, oh, I wish I had legs or poor me. It's, 
this is this is who I am and I am absolutely stoked with who I am and because the way I am that's I guess it's 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 made me who I am you know and that's you know I met my wife I would not have met my wife if I probably was an able-bodied um guy it's because I have the disability I've learned so many different values in life and yeah uh, you got to embrace those things. And uh, I appreciate you saying that because a lot of people do think of oh, a poor person with a disability, you know, they're struggling, they're unhappy, you know, whatever. But you've shown and many other um, Paralympic and, and you know, people with disabilities have shown, you know, that, that that's not the case, that they're, they're quite happy in their life and they live a very fulfilling life from a relationship and a work perspective. And, and then obviously the sports component. Tell us about your job. Um, and what you do now, because I think it's really imp important for people with disabilities to see that holistic approach for you. People know you as Riley Bat, the beast out on the court, but but what's Riley Bat like at work? <laughs> I've, a, I've got a bit of a split personality. I will admit that, um, uh, yeah, I don't like who I am on the court. I'm obviously a, a very aggressive and that's just because I'm competitive and I wanted to uh, bring the best out of myself and I've got to get that adrenaline pumping. But off-court Riley's a, a totally different guy. Um, yeah, not as confident, obviously, as he is on the court. But I'm very fortunate enough that I've been working for Suncorp um, or GIO for eight years now. Um, they helped me when I was sort of in the peak of my career after the, the London Paralympic Games. And, um, yeah, they've, they've allowed me to work fully flexible from home uh, in my hometown of Port Macquarie for, yeah, for eight years now. And it's it's really uh, the, the values and, the, and what I've learned, you know, through working with such an amazing company, um, he's just been very appreciative. So I've just moved into a new role there as a GIO brand ambassador. And it's just absolutely amazing to see these big corporations, um, you know, getting behind um, Paralympic sports. Uh, I have uh, Toyota and Woolworths as ambassadors. Um, I'm an ambassador, sorry, for Toyota and Woolworths, I should say that. And yeah, also as a GIO ambassador as well. So, mate, I'm, I'm just so proud to be an Australian and I really think Australia um, really does a great job embracing people with disabilities and like as you said earlier you know Channel 7's coverage was just phenomenal and I just cannot wait to see the build up to the Brisbane 2032 games that sounds so weird saying that but I cannot wait to see the build up The you know Paralympic sport is just every game is going higher and higher and Australia does not see the wheelchair anymore they don't see the disability they see the, the athletes they see the people um and we're just we just consider ourselves athletes too we consider ourselves normal people I think that's that's the thing isn't it a lot of and, and back in the day you know when I was kind of playing goalball for Australia in the 90s and stuff it was it was a different you know we we didn't train like a uh, an able-bodied athlete but now as if you're a Paralympian and you're in a high performance program it's it's exactly the same isn't it the training environment is as you know being in the able-bodied Olympics that that pressure and the the commitment is there you have to train every single day you have to watch what you eat you, you know you have to be strong strength and conditioning mental health all of those things and so I do see people now looking at Paralympic sport and giving it that equality that it's been craving for for so long that's right, mate. It's um, it, look, it has it's, it's grown even since I've been part of the games. And my first Paralympic Games was two thousand and four. And yes, a lot of sports were you know professional, but I guess wheelchair rugby in general, or Australia in general, we probably weren't um, as committed as we are now. And it's just uh, every games has got more professional and more professional. And 
it's pretty much a full-time gig for us. You know, we're training every day. We've got to worry about, yeah, nutrition, recovery, mental health side of things, um, just general gameplay strategy. It's, it's, uh, it's not like we just rock up the training and smash ourselves for half an hour, an hour and go home. It's, it's a lot more than that. And hey, we get to represent Australia, um, you know, and if that doesn't make you proud and, and want to make you, um, you know, do your best, then I don't know what will. And for those of you who have never been in a plunge pool before, it is an absolute commitment. So. <laughs> oh, the ice baths, yeah, they are. They, um, I, we just bought a, a CrossFit gym nine months ago and I put two ice baths in the CrossFit gym for the members. And uh, I get a lot of people complain to me, but you get used to it. You get used to it. You do, I guess. NDSP Plan Managers are your NDIS Plan Management Specialist and are proud to support Disability Sports Australia in getting more people with a disability involved in all levels of sport. Choose a plan manager that will help you achieve your goals at ndsp.com.au. <laughs> um, mate, let's talk about your um, Paralympic career. Um, you know, as you said, started in 2004. Tell us about the early days, you know, before the gold medals came. Um, what were the important things in that team being able to grow? Yeah, Athens 2004 was my first Paralympic Games as a 15-year-old. And uh, it's very hard to remember a lot of it because it was just so much to take in as a 15-year-old. Uh, coming in, I guess we, we're looking pretty good, to be honest, as a team. Um, but a few classification uh, issues happened for us and we ended up coming out with a fifth place. What well, is an amazing achievement, but it's sort of, we sort of afterwards looked back and went, you know, we had an opportunity to do a bit better here and it's time to up our game a little bit better and more and take this, this sport more serious and give it some more energy on a daily basis. So, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience, though, just to go to Athens. Um, you know, probably wasn't uh, the most um, cover, uh, you know, it didn't have the most coverage, this game, they, those games. But um, for me, as my first Paralympic Games, I absolutely loved it. And it was just, I was very thankful, to be honest, that my parents let me travel halfway around the world to Europe as a 15-year-old with grown men in an Opens team. <laughs> 15 years old, you know, just put that into perspective. You know, you're, you're in year nine in high school and, and your whole world changes, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a massive achievement. Um, and then when you came back, what was the reaction from your classmates, you know, in, in your school? Oh, it's, it's hard to remember. It's oh, 17 years ago now. I'm so old, mate. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, the school was, uh, you know, loving that I was on the Paralympic, uh, I guess, train. And uh, I remember them doing some fundraisers for me. Um, they obviously love seeing uh, my results from tournaments, whether it be for New South Wales, Australia or whatnot. So I uh, didn't probably get the, the most schooling done in grade year and grade uh, grade nine and grade 10 but um yeah I had some had some good times and I think sometimes traveling overseas and seeing different cultures and being exposed to different opportunities sometimes is a better learning curve than school anyway <laughs> yeah, absolutely um in 2008 yeah 2008 Beijing Paralympics so I know myself personally my goal was to you know experience the games in Athens I got to experience it and it was an amazing but my next goal personally was to win a uh, win a medal and I guess it didn't matter what color I just wanted to win a Paralympic medal and the rest of the team were wanted to as well you know they had that I said I guess bad result in 2004 and we won redemption so um I was now 19 years old. I was more of a, I guess, a leading role in this team. As much as I was only 19, I 
had that on-court, I guess, offensive presence that I sort of had to be more of a leader and pretty hard for a 19-year-old to be a leader with, um, you know, you know, men in the team from 20 to say, let's say 40. Um, so uh, pretty tough, but um, we, uh, we made it to the final uh, and that was against America. So we were absolutely chuffed, you know, we we're guaranteed a gold or a silver medal the next day in the final. And I think that was probably one mistake we made. We, well, I know personally, I was like, yeah, sweet. You know, we got that silver or gold medal and sort of maybe let, let the foot off the accelerator a little bit and, we got into that gold medal game and I remember being, um, I think, tied or up by one point uh, with America and halfway through the third quarter. And then we just absolutely capitulated. And um, I'm going to blame that on us as a team, probably not being as professional as, as we should have. And our fitness level probably wasn't up to the level that America was. And when I say we, especially me, I was uh, 35 kilos heavier than I am right now. And um, I guess I was playing more on natural talent and it was a really tough one to swallow for me because I sort of felt like I let the the team down a little bit and you know if I sort of was a little bit more elite and didn't have that many kegs in my body I um I, I could have helped the team and you know we we're there halfway through the third quarter all we had to do was push out another quarter and a half and it was a gold medal so uh that one hurt and what I actually did personally is I sat that silver medal as proud as I was of it I sat that silver medal on my bedside table and I used that as a motivating tool to go for the next one up. And that's a gold medal. So uh, every morning that, you know, I was struggling to get out of bed because I was so tired. Um, it was a reminder that, you know, get your buddy out of bed, Riley, and go be an athlete and, and get to work. So uh, next goal from there was gold medal. And it was a great motivating tool. It talks about that change in professionalism, doesn't it really? In Paralympic sports, not just for you, but in that time frame of uh, really, you know, going from Beijing to, to London. And I felt like in London, um, the Paralympic movement really got that professionalism approach and started to get, you know, the, the, the change. You saw it um, physically. I was actually living in the United States at the time. Uh, and, and even there, you know, you started to see that transition to a professional sporting environment. Um, and, you know, obviously with your motivation, you went along for that ride. And, and then, you know, talk about London doing all that hard work over those four years and getting to 2012 and you're 23 years old then. And, you know, the maturity level of being through two Paralympic Games. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge turning point in my life from, from Beijing and to London. And I feel like winning that silver medal was you know, looking back now, it was probably one of the best things in my life because if we won a gold medal, you know, obviously I want the whole team to win a gold, but for me personally, if I had won a gold medal, I might have rested on it and just gone, ah, we've done enough, you know, let's just go into the next games and not do work. But it, it drove me to be the best. And I, yeah, as I said, lost 35 kilos in those four years. I went and played two very successful seasons over in America and completely changed my game and my confidence in the game dropping all that weight, um, being more confident, comfortable in who I am and confident in who I am also um, allowed me to met my, meet my now wife, Crystal. And um, it was just an amazing four years sort of time for me. So coming into the London 2012 games, I felt fit. I felt lighter. I felt faster, stronger, um, but did have a few issues. I, I, I know I tore, tore my rotator cuff for a few months out from the game. So that was a little bit of a, Spanner in the works there, but our goal obviously was the gold medal. 
and we had a really good team at the London Paralympic Games. Um, and our goal was to win every quarter of every game to achieve this gold medal. And I remember going through the pool stages and and we won every quarter of every game. We're like, wow, this is this is pretty amazing because when the coach asked us to do this, to do this and you know, win every quarter of every game, we sort of went, mate, you're bloody mad. But we won every quarter of every game in the pool matches, went into the semi-final against Japan, won every quarter of every of that game and then made it to the final. Now we've been in this situation before and we wanted to make sure we capitalized and we came out firing against Canada. And I remember we absolutely smashed them in the first sort of half and won both those quarters and won the last two quarters. And uh, I think won by 13, 14 points in a Paralympic final and uh, to achieve our first gold medal. So it was an absolutely uh, incredible sort of time. And I just remember the pride watching that Australian flag go up the pole, listening to, you know, the Australian national anthem. Um, my wife was there. My mum my and dad were there as well. And it's just, um, it is a sense of relief. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you, when you reach that mountaintop and you have visions about what it's going to look like, it still never reaches actually what it feels like, does it? No, that's right, mate. It's, uh, it, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but just when you set your goals so high like that and you actually achieve them, it's, uh, it's a very, very special moment. But, you know, moving on from there as well, um, us athletes are very weird. We set a goal, we achieve our goal, but we still want more. So after that goal, of course, we wouldn't go again. <laughs> so let's talk about the teammates. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Chris Bond sits on our board at Disability Sports Australia. You've played against him and with him for a long time. Um, you know, people kind of see you as the Bash brothers of wheelchair <laughs> rugby, uh, both very competitive people. Tell us about your, your bond with Bondi. <laughs> I'll say what you did there. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, look, Bondi's obviously been in a massive, uh, massive uh, part of our team. And I remember when he sort of came into the team in uh, 2011, he was pretty raw. He was pretty raw, but he really dedicated himself to the sport and, and really took feedback on board and, and really fast-tracked his, his play. Um, you know, I wish I, I got up to speed that quick. But um, I guess when I, was, when I started, I, I didn't really have as many high pointers to look up to um, and, and learn from. But Bondi just did a really good job. and. Um, yeah, we are, he's my bald brother and he's, um, he's done very well throwing that Australian jersey on. I uh, obviously love playing against him when he plays for Queensland. Um, that's my favourite. And I think we're, I think uh, he's beat, beat us once, I think, in the, what the 10 years I've, I've uh, played against him. So sorry, buddy, mate, but you got to pick up the pace there, buddy. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I did uh, feel sorry for him actually at the national championships when, when you were beating them pretty handily and, and the crowd started uh, cheering fire up Bondi, I felt like <laughs> in his hometown, that was a bit rough for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, he's from Canberra, so I don't know why he's got that Queensland jersey on anyway. But um, it <laughs> serves him right there. But uh, now when he plays for Australia, we're, we're best mates and we're both very, we're competitors. We just want to win at all costs and we understand each other. Um, and, you know, we've had some special moments on that court and, yeah, unfortunately, skipping forward a little bit here, the Tokyo Games, um, we'll pump to play together. Um, you know, we're both ready, but with one of our players going down with illness, it allowed it didn't allow us to, to play on court to, uh, together, and it really, really affected us as a team. Coloplast have made countless lives easier for the last 65 years. 
With their range of intermittent catheters, collecting devices, and transanal irrigation systems, Coloplast allows you more time to focus on the things you enjoy in life and less time on your continence needs. Free NDIS support, nursing services, and personalized support are just the beginning with Coloplast. Find out more at coloplast.com.au. Variety Activate Inclusion Sports Days are an essential part of what Disability Sports Australia deliver as a program in schools to kids with a physical, sensory or intellectual disability. Thanks, Variety, for all of your support. Yeah, well, um, just before we get to Tokyo, quickly, let's uh, jump back. Harder than winning, I think, your first Paralympic gold medal is going back and defending it. Um, because all the expectations on you, um, you know, you're a high quality, um, visible team here in Australia. Wheelchair rugby has always been kind of the, the pinnacle of what Paralympic sport is here, um, originally through murder ball and then obviously the progression of the sport. Tell us about going to Rio and defending your gold medal. Oh, yeah, it was a tough challenge, a very, very tough challenge. And um, we're hungry, though. We're hungry to defend that gold medal. And I think for me personally and a few players on the team, one of our uh, driving goals was in 2012, America was sort of our arch nemesis. They were our rival team and we never got to play them in the Paralympic gold medal final. And we really wanted to play them in the final and they got knocked out in the semis. So, you know, when we won that gold, as sweet as it was, we felt like we didn't get to play America and knock them off the, off the top and, it sort of sat with me for a little bit and I use that as a motivator that I really wanted to win another gold medal and hopefully against America. So 2016 campaign, um, we, we upped our gameplay to the, to a whole new level. We obviously had a bit of a target on our back being, you know, the defending Paralympic champions and the world champions at that stage as well. We won the world championships in 2014. So everyone was going for us and we knew it was going to be a tough Paralympics and we went through the pool game. Uh, I think we had a two-point win against Great Britain. We had an overtime win against Canada. Um, a, pr- a pretty comfortable win against a tough Brazilian team. But then semi-final, we played Japan, who were absolutely amazing. And I think and we only won it in the last sort of four minutes of the game. And we we're lucky enough that we, you know, came up in the final against our nemesis, and that was America. So he was our shot. And I just remember that game being one of the toughest games of my life. I just left it all out there. And I know so many teammates did. And, um, you know, it was absolutely crazy in that stadium. I think 16,500 crazy screaming Brazilian fans. And we're lucky enough that they were, I guess, going for Australia more than America. So it helped egg us on. But uh, we ended up going to double overtime in this game. Uh, Double overtime. And we won by one point in the, in the final seconds of the second overtime. And, mate, the pressure in that game was something that you would never, ever be able to replicate. And the, the feeling afterwards of just relief, of joy, of happiness, of oh, so many different things running through my head here. But it was just incredible. And what it also did is it compounded that, that, uh, sorry, that London 2012 gold medal as well. It made us realize that, yes, we earned that. We didn't get to play America, but yes, we earned that because now we've beat them here and we're the defending gold medalists. So it was so sweet. And everyone asked me what gold medal was my favorite. And you usually say your first, but I think the Rio Paralympic gold medal final was just my favorite, just an absolute pressure cooker of a game. And uh, 
yeah, I don't really want to be in that situation ever again. But hey, if it's for a Paralympic gold medal, I'll t- bring it on. <laughs> would, you, would you say that's the, the, the fondest game that you of over your 300 that you've played in? Definitely. Definitely was. Even though it's a bit of a blur, just because the adrenaline, um, it's very hard to remember that game. But I just, oh, yeah, the feeling of just winning that game and um, just how proud I was of the team, just digging deep and taking on such a powerhouse in America. Have you gone back and watched it? I have a few times, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't really watch many of our games unless we're studying it. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I do watch that. And there is some moments where I just went in the fourth quarter where we're up by a few. I made a few errors and I cringe still to this day. But look, at the end of the day, you're under massive fatigue. You're under massive pressure. You're going to make a mistake. Um, but I feel like we we rebounded really well. And, and I, I also cringe a little bit at the moment where I think it was the end of the first overtime where I had to thread a pass to to Bondi um, and he had to score it with about one second on the clock to go to, to force us to go to the second overtime to keep us in the game and well it was a uh, risky pass but lucky that we were on the same sort of wavelength and he was ready for it and yeah he saved our bacon there and then I helped out I guess in the second quarter so uh, comes around in swings. Absolutely so then look You've won two Paralympic gold medals. You're on top of the world. Uh, you've beaten your arch rivals. COVID hits. Uh, <laughs> you go, you go, you play your world championship in, in uh, Sydney, um, losing in the final um, narrowly uh, to Japan. And at that stage, look, do you think the rest of the world is catching up a little bit? 100%, yeah. Um, when, you're the, when you're the targeted for, we're, we're number one in the world for, I think almost nine years. And when you're the targeted, everyone's going to catch you. And it's very hard to find ways in your game to improve. And it happens with any team. You know, if you're at the top for that long, it is very, very hard to stay at the top because everyone's just copying what you do and figuring you out. So, um, yeah, we're definitely the hunted team. And, you know, our home world champs in Sydney. And we were, oh, I felt like we were the best we ever been in that, in that tournament. We were absolutely killing it in the pool games. Um, you know, we beat Japan in one of the pool games by, I think, 14 points. What's well, a huge win against a tough Japan team. And unfortunately, in the final, we just, um, I just, I don't even know what happened. I, I never, ever like to blame refs, but we did get some terrible calls in that one. I think it just sort of kept snowballing for us. And I remember we were down by seven points at one stage. And against a team like Japan, you, you, you're almost given up mentally because you can't come back from from that when they're so dominant at being controlling on offense. And Bondi and I looked at each other and just, yeah, I remember just going, let's just give it everything we got. And um, we just had a run in the third quarter and yeah, we, ca- we came back and I remember being even for the last sort of quarter of the game. And there was, we were making a few errors. They were making a few errors and, Fatigue was just absolutely massive in that fourth quarter because we had to absolutely give it everything to get back in that game. And I felt like it was at our fingertips and I felt like we were in the driver's seat. But yeah, we unfortunately um, had a play to, to make it go to overtime in the, the last 10 seconds and we just couldn't make it happen. And yeah, Japan beat us by one point and, you know, hats off to Japan. They, um, they deserved it. They rebounded really well. And yeah, it hurt to... It hurt to lose on home soil, but uh, we got them back the following year on their home soil at the World Cup. We beat them by, I think, two points or one point in in a nail-biting game on the, in front of a packed-out crowd. So, uh, yeah, it's we've sort of even with each other there. 
So it's good, right? Obviously, look, you it's bad to lose uh, by a point, but then you came back, like you said, a year later, and it really probably motivated you uh, to, to get revved up again. You're building towards, you know, 2020, and and then COVID hits, and and the plan just gets completely derailed, right? And and for those of you who are watching around the world in Australia, we we kind of got an initial um, hit of COVID from March to kind of July, and um, and then thought, okay, well. We probably escaped that now. We went back and started doing things again. And, and then uh, in Sydney, we got another hit over Christmas. And then again, it just blew up in, in 2021. And isolation for a lot of the team members, impossible to get training camps, impossible to go away to competitions. And so your whole plan from the World Championships to Paralympics got derailed. And then obviously a year went by delay with Tokyo. Um, just, you know, give us an overview about how, um, how much of a difference that's made when the rest of the world are catching up to you, um, yeah, coming yeah. onto your level, um, being able to overcome some of those things with having training camps for them, going to go play competitions in, in the Americas, in, in Europe, um, and, and we're kind of, you know, stuck at the bottom of the world, uh, not being able to do anything. Yeah, it was a definitely a tough time mentally, um, probably the toughest time in my life. Um, you know, having, when I say having to, it, it did start to feel like a chore, but going to training every single day to do the best you possibly can. Um, with Tokyo in, in sight and it being pushed another year away was was tough. It was really tough. And, um, you know, seeing our competitors competing around the world, going to training camps when we could not get together for over 18 months of the team, it was hard. And Coming into the Tokyo Games, I know personally I was setting PBs strength and fitness wise. I know a lot of athletes in our team were playing probably the best, like, you know, individually doing the best they ever have. But when you haven't been to, as a team for that long, we haven't been in a high pressure situation since October 2019. And we're expected to perform at the, you know, Tokyo, what was now 2021 Paralympic Games. So almost two years and not been in a high pressure situation or been together as a whole team. So, what do we expect? You know, I, I think we've, uh, you know, it was outside of our control, completely outside of our control. And when we got to got to Tokyo and we hit the floor in the first game, um, it just did not feel normal. I, for me personally, I felt like I was almost a new player and nothing was com coming to my mind automatic. And yeah, I did struggle. And yeah, we improved a little bit as the tournament went on, but we were just so far behind the eight ball with all these other teams who had been playing and training. And, um, you know, the teams who you know, got on the podium at Tokyo. We ended up coming fourth, but the teams who came first, second, third had all been in training camps, had all been competing against sort of other teams. And um, yeah, it was just outside of our, our control, mate. We did everything we possibly could to to defend our gold medal. But unfortunately, it's just the, the roll of the dice. And unfortunately in Australia, with our strict lockdown rules and travel rules, we, uh, we just couldn't see each other. So uh, it is what it is. But, you know, having that loss, um, I think, puts that fire back in the belly and it's another motivator, you know, because as I said, in Beijing, if we won that gold medal, might have rested on our laurels. But now we go, well, yeah, we've been at the top of our game for nine years. We've been successful. Let's take this hit and let's pick it back up and, tar you know, let's let's watch our competitors and, and, and aim for higher than them. So it is what it is. It's a good transition, though, because, you know, um, you go through these cycles, right, and in sport, yeah. and but it, it mirrors life, you know, and we're talking about people with a disability getting active and being active more often. It's that mindset, right, where 
you have expectations about how you're going to perform in life, if you've got a job, if you've got a relationship, you know, if you get on the court and you're in a sporting environment, it mirrors each other, right? And so sport can really be that catalyst to be able to help you in other parts of your life where, as you said, you know, you're going through a COVID environment, you're struggling, you know, how does that play in? Getting back out on court, it's almost a freedom, isn't it? Yeah, it is, mate. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, Tokyo was an amazing game. Look, we can't take you know anything great granted. You know, our, obviously our result didn't go the way we wanted, but let's look at the big picture here. And yes, we wanted to win a gold medal, but at the end of the day, we're there to motivate the future people coming, you know, future athletes coming through, people with disabilities, kids with abilities. You know, not you know not have not using a wheelchair. We're still motivating kids, you know, who are running around the playground. So. That's the big picture is, is motivating the future Australians. And I feel that as a whole collective, you know, the Paralympic, Australian Paralympic team, I think we achieved this. I think there were so many strong, powerful messages sent back to Australia from Tokyo. Channel 7 obviously did the amazing coverage. And, you know, it was another massive leap forward in this Paralympic movement. And that's, that's the big picture. You know, obviously results matter, but being looked up to as idols as as strong resilient people and as role models for so many australians is 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 what we you know what we want to achieve carrying the flag in an opening ceremony that um the the team didn't get to go to um it was you kate and denny out there representing tell us about that i mean i spoke to louise savage um to give you some perspective in the in the first episode of this podcast and talk to Louise about lighting the torch in Sydney and then carrying the flag in Athens. And obviously you're in that team. Um, you know, what, what kind of honour is it? I mean, all of us can just imagine, but and tell us about walking, uh, you know, wheeling in that stadium with carrying the flag with Denny and, and just the feeling that that must have, especially because you were representing everyone else who couldn't be there. Yeah, it was obviously a different games, wasn't it? First <laughs> ever opening. I think, it, well, it's, you know, let's hope it's the only opening ceremony that no one's going to be in. So it's going to be one that's looked back upon and it's going to be a special one. So um, I think when Danny and I got announced as, as co-flag bearers for the Australian Paralympic team, alongside the co-captaincy, it was just, oh, you know, one proud moment. And, you know, a tear did come to my eye because I never thought I'd ever be able to fly a flag for Australia. But I guess being looked upon uh, your fellow peers, your fellow athletes as a leader, um, of this an amazing successful team is just an absolutely truly uh, you know a true honor so uh yeah it was different as a different opening ceremony but it was a special one and you know we had a, an amazing um let's say party before the opening ceremony at the front of our allotment and all of uh, all of our australian um athletes staff whoever was there in the allotment all got together were all dressed up had a special sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, announcement. And then we had a garden honour to send myself and Danny and, and Kate out. So uh, we knew that all us, all the Australian Paralympians who are there, who are at home, you know, Paralympians who have gone before us were all behind myself and Danny and we were flying that flag with, with true honour. And it did still feel like we had the team behind us out there. I, I, I know it didn't show it on the cameras, but um, we, we really felt the pressure of, um, and the pride of, of, of Australia. And um, that came through, I think, obviously through the Channel 7 coverage, but 
you know, through your Instagram feeds and, and the different things that were being posted by Paralympics Australia and definitely got that team unity message uh, here in, in Australia. Um, mate, just to finishing off, for the first time in a Paralympic uh, wheelchair rugby team, you had a female participant and uh, Shay, uh, I had the, the pleasure of seeing Shay play in the Australian Championships, which were just a month before you went away. Um, and just her tenacity and fight on the court. Um, and obviously, you know, with some illnesses in your team, uh, she probably got more court time than maybe was expected. Um, but she went out there pretty fierce. And and for her, what do you think about that? Not many people even know that wheelchair rugby is a mixed sport uh, because you do see a lot of guys, but there are some females in some other teams as well. But and tell us what it's like to have Shay perform and what that means for for female sport in the disability space, especially. So, yeah, just to give everyone, a, I guess, a heads up. So it's a mixed sport. And females, um, uh, I guess now, uh, encouraged to participate. And what they've done is we have a classification system. And to have a female on the team, it, uh, they get a deduction of a classification. It means pretty much we can run more points on the court so we can have a stronger lineup. And I think it is amazing for our sport because we have members like now, Shay Graham on our team, who is a perfect fit for us. And it is different having a female on the team from you know from so many years of just being male dominated but Shay fits right into the team and as you saw her on the court in Tokyo she's fierce and she is built for this game so um yeah we, we love having her on the team and to be honest yes she in Tokyo probably wasn't meant to get so many minutes but she did her role and stepped up and and did an amazing job and she needs to be really proud of that so um Future's looking really good for Shay. I'm really hoping she um, gets more confidence from those games. And um, it's, it's so good for wheelchair rugby. It's so good for disability sports in general to see um, male and females competing on the same field. Last question, mate. Um, we're at Disability Sports Australia. We're launching the National Referral Hub. We want to encourage everybody um, to refer somebody with a disability to be more active more often in Australia. Um, what's your message for people like physiotherapists, exercise physiologists, occupational therapists, teachers? Why should they refer somebody that they know with a disability? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, you look at my story. If I didn't have sport, I wouldn't be who I am today. Um, I've learned so much about my abilities and, and not my disabilities. Um, and I think, I think you need to refer people because it just gives them a totally different outlook in life. And, um, you know, being around people with disabilities, being around uh, disability sport in general, for me, um, I have learned so much and so many kids out there would do the same. They'll learn from each other. You learn how to adapt. You learn different ways to just be independent. So, um, yeah, definitely get involved in sport. It's, um, it's changed my life and I've seen it change so many others. Riley, you're a champion on and off the court, mate. I really appreciate your time today. It's been fascinating to to hear your background and your story and and just see that fight in you and and we all look forward to the next world championships and to paris in a short number of time and then eventually brisbane 2032 which i'm sure we'll be doing another podcast in then don't don't shake your head mate you're only a youngster <laughs> now nah, thanks murray thanks for having me and you're doing a ripper job so thank you no problems mate thanks very much take care and we'll talk soon
Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Breaking Disability. If you'd like to learn more about Disability Sports Australia, please go to our website, www.sports.org.au. And if you'd like to refer somebody to our national referral hub, you can go to the same website. Again, it's www.sports.org.au and click on the refer national referral hub link and then refer a friend or someone you know with a disability to become more active more often. I'm Murray Albon and thanks again for listening to our Breaking Disability podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Breaking Disability, the podcast, is an evolution and an opportunity for you, the listener, to be able to understand and better connect with superstars in disability sport across Australia, Paralympic athletes, but also people who have been involved in the disability space, who have played characters with a disability uh, and learn more about their lives and what uh, they do from a sports perspective, from a recreation perspective. And more importantly, it just helps break down those stereotypes about disability that currently exist in the marketplace. We want you to know that people living with a disability don't have horrible lives, that they are confident, that they can do things, they can be active in their community, that they can be influencers, they can be brand ambassadors, they can be anything that they want it to be. And we want to show you that, highlight those things um, so that employers, uh, people in community sports clubs, Uh, People just in teams or in a workplace, Um, if you have a friend with a disability, you help understand that, ask questions, have conversations uh, to be able to put these stereotypes to bed and really understand what having a disability and living with a disability means and what lived experience really means. And it's different for everybody. And that's why these podcasts are featuring stars like Louise Savage and Riley Batt um, and many others to come will enhance your understanding of what truly lived experience means Uh, and we hope uh, bring you some exciting stories along the way of what uh, Paralympic and disability sport mean to people. So enjoy our next episode and if you haven't already gone back and listened to our existing episodes we hope that you will try and listen to uh, the ones that we've done so far and uh, give us your feedback on on people that you'd like to um, see on the podcast and guests we, we should have. Um, We're always keen to be able to engage with you. So again, refer someone.